If you want to have a, a seat, that'd be great. So good to see you all in church today. So glad you're here. Uh, we're officially in fall, and it feels like fall, doesn't it? Yeah. Sun is shining, leaves are glowing, that kind of thing. Uh, what happens in fall? What do we look forward to? Halloween. Thanksgiving. Come on, this is, you know, this is slow pitch for you guys. Thanksgiving is coming up. I mean, for those of you who don't, haven't come from a Canadian background, maybe Thanksgiving isn't a big deal to you, but in Canada, I mean, it's an excuse to have family and feasting and uh, to give thanks to our, thanks to, what's that? Pumpkin pie. Exactly. In our home, it's turkey and pie and stuffing. Actually, the stuffing always tastes better than anything else on the table, always. But uh, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving here at Hillside a little differently this coming Thanksgiving Sunday, which is in a couple weeks from now. Uh, we're going to have a special offering, what we're calling a Thanksgiving offering or a thanks offering. Uh, it, it's really an opportunity for us to, to pause in our lives and to give kind of a, a real thanks to, to God for what, all that he's doing in us and for us, all that he's done for us in, in, our, in our past and what we hope he's going to do in the future. Uh, he's faithful. And then we also want to celebrate what he's been doing here at Hillside. And, and uh, in recent weeks, we've been uh, thinking about our, our, our vision and our, our, our mission. We've been looking at our core values. And uh, our elders, as we were praying about this, had this sense that it would be a great opportunity to, to put it out to you, to, if you would like to, to give an over and above gift towards our, our vision and mission. Our mission being to, to bring the healing and hope and compassion of Jesus to the Tri-Cities and beyond. And we think that's worth giving our lives to, including our finances. And uh, there's history of this in the, in the history of the church, and certainly uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, there lots of instruction around offerings. Uh, there was kind of a tithe, which was kind of your, your regular contribution to, to God and to His work and to His kingdom. And then every, every once in a while, as somebody wanted to, not coerced to, as they wanted to, they would give an over and above gift just as a way of saying, thanks, God. You're good. I love you. And, and I, I, I want to I honor you with, with my finances. And then the other part of that is I, I want more of my resources to actually go towards building your kingdom and seeing it come here on earth, to actually making a difference in our world. And, and so we do this. We, we, we take the little we have or the much we have and we, we sow it. And, and we, we give it to God, and God is honored and pleased by that. Like, he really does love a cheerful gift. And on top of that, he can take what we have, and as we pool our resources together, I keep saying this, we can do so much more together than we can do apart. And so, so there's going to be an opportunity for that. For those of you who are regular contributors here, like you've just been giving as part of your worship for, for many, many years, thank you for that. Thank you for that just investment in God's kingdom through Hillside. And, and for those of you, maybe this is, uh, you know, you, this could be your first offering. <laughs> you, you've never felt that. I, I remember uh, thinking this morning of, of a friend who came up to me, had been visiting, been part of Hillside for about a year, and uh, he came up to me at the back of the church, and he had in his hand a, a check, and he was going to put it in that offering today. He said, Derwin, this is my first time I'm ever making a gift to Hillside and I'm really nervous about it. Like, is God going to, like, honor this? And, uh, 
And of course he does. And of course God does. And so for maybe for some of you, this could be your first time. I think it's a great time to do that on, on Thanksgiving. We try not to to talk about money a lot here at Hillside, but this is just a, a way to celebrate and also to, to actually sow into his, his work here in our community. So if you want to be par- participating in that, a kind of an over and above gift to your regular giving, please feel free to do that. You'd, you'd be welcome. Um, I want to uh, pause before we get into our message today. And, and James, let's, let's close our eyes and let's, let's pray this morning. Invite God's Spirit to speak to us. God, I love that you love it when we listen. And this morning, you have just, uh, before we ever got here, you'd already laid a table of delights for us. I love how Isaiah 55 says, come to me, give your ears towards me, listen to me, and uh, your souls will delight in the richest affair. And so this morning, God, we want to, to participate in that meal that you have for us. Lord, Thanksgiving feast is going to be nothing like, like the feast of your word and your truth as it becomes part of our lives. Open us up to that today, we pray. Use, uh, use us together in this moment to bring that about. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen. We're in this series uh, in the New Testament book of James, and one of the core themes of this letter that we've been reading is Wisdom. And, and scholars tell us that it's not a surprise that James is all about wisdom because he's really been impacted and influenced by the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is a wisdom book. Uh, the book of Proverbs has, it's known for having these little wisdom speeches that are packed full of metaphor and, and with these one-liners. They're, they're really brilliant, often hard-hitting, and they get your attention. They're often said in the extreme. And if you read through the, the book of James, you'll find there's a lot of these wisdom sayings. And in fact, uh, James is very, very out f- up front that he wants his people, he wants the church to gain a heart of wisdom. He wants us to have wisdom. I like how wisdom is so valued in, in Proverbs 8, verse 11. It says, wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So wisdom is valuable. Uh, thinking about wisdom, I also think about the opposite, and I want to ask you for a second here this morning, have you ever done anything stupid or foolish? Oh, there was, that was a quick hand there, brother. That was, a, yeah, I, yeah, I think we all probably have done something along those lines. Maybe I feel like I could write a book of my stories. One came to my, my mind this week of, of my, uh, it take, takes me way back to grade eight, my geography class. I'll never forget this, actually. Um, young folk, you might not remember this because you have this thing called a video projector. But uh, back in the day, we had uh, film reels. Do you remember that, anybody? Film reels in class. You'd watch a film in class, and uh, there was this honor that our geography teacher would give to somebody in the class after we'd watched a film. It would be, you got to be the person who oversaw the rewinding of the film, right? And so uh, you thread it into the, the backup reel, and you hit this button, and away it goes. It's spinning like high speed, right? And you know that saying, curiosity killed the cat? Well, that, I, I've lived that out many, many times in my own experience. I'm staring at this whole thing. The teacher's gone on and is teaching geography to the class. And I'm like feeling so honored at, at this responsibility of, of overseeing the, the film rewind. But I'm looking at the, all the gears and things. I'm thinking, I wonder what that button does. And a little lever. 
and I reach over and I, I pull down this little lever and it's the emergency brake to the rewind system. So everything just halts, screeches, and this makes me scared. So I take my finger off the brake and suddenly film spinning into the room and the film snaps. And so it's just going, you know, it's like crazy. And, and in, in a, I'll never forget the look my geography teacher gave me in those moments, like, you fool. <laughs> Shaking his head, right? And uh, yeah, what was maybe one of the greatest honors in my grade eight geography class turned into one of my most embarrassing moments. Oh boy. In terms of uh, folly in my life, that's actually probably a mild example. (laughs) I can think of many, many more extreme examples. I could, like I said, write a book. The reality is, in terms of my life, I think some of my greatest regrets would go back to times where I didn't practice wisdom where I played the fool somehow, where I was foolish. Wisdom in scripture always is a great picture. It's a picture of flourishing. It's a picture of life and joy, shalom. It's a a picture of things working well. And James has this emphasis on wisdom. He's writing to the early, early church and he's urging them to live wisely, to pursue wisdom. And not just any wisdom, not just the wisdom of the day. He says, actually in chapter 3, wisdom from on high, wisdom from from above. And as we looked at last week in in James chapter 1, James invites his listeners, hey, you need wisdom? What do you do? You ask for it. And God, who is generous and without fault finding, he will give wisdom to those who ask. Now, this, uh, this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in, in James chapter 1 and, and verses 19 to 27, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Our, our uh, team will hand out Bibles. If you want one, just raise your hand. But uh, in our passage today, we're gonna, it really talks about the wisdom of becoming an effective listener. And James would say that effective listening begins with hearing, begins with, with listening, and ends with living. Those two always belong together in Scripture. So let's read this Scripture together. James chapter 1, verse 19. And I'm going to invite you, just out of respect for God's Word this morning, would you, if you're able, would you please stand? Again, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. May God bless the reading of his word. Why don't you have a seat? 
This, uh, this passage is kind of divided into three connected parts, verse 19 to 21 and 22 to 25, and then 26 to 27. We're going to walk through each of those one section at a time. I love how it begins in verse 19, my dear or my beloved brothers and sisters. And as you heard, James will go on to say some really challenging things, but he starts there. He wants you to know that he's writing as a friend. He's writing as a a pastor who's awfully fond of his flock and who just wants them to live well. To, to, he, he wants their best. And so he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Uh, pay attention to this. Know this. And then he goes on to give them this memorable little proverb. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Isn't that great? Be, be quick to listen. The idea is hurry up and listen. And then he contrasts that would, would be slow down and, and you slow down your speaking. And I want to say, how often do we get those two reversed? You know, we, we speed up our speaking and we slow down our hearing. Isn't that, isn't that how it goes? He's like, speed up your listening. Slow down your speaking. I, I'm really challenged by that because I, I'm an extrovert. Uh, I, I like to talk. I've got maybe what some would call the gift of the gab, right? Um, we're verbal. Our family is that way. We're verbal processors, you know? My, my motto generally is, uh, you know, speak first, think later. Can anyone relate to that? And, and, and some of you know that I, on occasion, will stick my foot in my mouth. Sometimes it feels like I wedge both of them in there at the same time. Did that in the first service just a little bit, didn't I? It was uh, embarrassing, but sometimes you need professional helpers to get you extracted from that situation. But James, he, he talks about this. He'll, he'll actually emphasize this throughout his entire book, controlling our tongues, w- watching what we say, slowing our speech. Because in order to listen, you have to be quiet. Our elementary te- school teachers had it right when, when they said, you can't talk and listen at the same time. You could also say it this way, you, you won't learn anything if you're the only one doing the talking. Uh, speaking isn't the only thing that we're meant to be slow in. He, he then says, be slow in getting angry. I uh, heard a story of a, a kid studying history one night, and he asks his dad how World War II began. And the dad says, well, the Japanese attacked the Americans at Pearl Harbor. And the wife pipes in, she says, no, that's not right. It's when Hitler invaded Europe. And the, and the husband's like, well, he didn't ask you. you know, just stay out of it. And the wife storms out of the room, but before she slams the door, she says, if you're going to teach him, get the facts straight. The father turns back to continue on the conversation, but the boy says, that's okay, dad. Now I know how wars get started. (laughs) Be slow in getting angry. Isn't that a message for our day? I mean, we probably should just have that on our sign out front of the building all the time. Be slow in getting angry. Uh, you You know how we know that we're kind of an angry society? Two places you could look at just easily is driving in the lower mainland, right? You find it in your own heart. That's where it exposes itself, but you see it in other drivers too. What did I do? I didn't deserve that hand wave gesture thing. Don't know what that means. I'm a Christian. Um, The other place, social media in our day, right? Just write any opinion on a social media feed that is in any way even slightly controversial, 
and wait for the onslaught of anger that will come your way. Guaranteed. We're not very gracious on the internet with one another, are we? Now, let me just say not all anger is wrong. There's such a thing as righteous anger. But if we're, we're really honest, I, I'd say most of our anger isn't righteous anger. And that's not the anger that, that James is talking about here. I, I'd say a lot of our anger, if you, if you think about it, I think a lot of our anger comes from our pride. You know, our, our pride is, is such a big deal. Somehow someone has encroached on our territory. You know, we feel offended in some way, and so we get angry. And, and when we're proud, uh, when we're strong-minded, when, when we're, we're opinionated, it's all the more easy to get angry, isn't it? Some of us carry, uh, it's actually psychologists tell us that most of us probably carry a low level of anger with us all the time throughout our lives. Some of you know that very personally. And I think what James is uh, implying here as he links anger and listening is that if we're angry, we won't be able to listen. Have you noticed this? When, when you're angry, you don't seem to be able to hear very well. Psychologists will tell you that, that a two-year-old who's having a tantrum, tantrum, temper tantrum, can't actually hear you in that moment. It's like their ears close. And I think it happens with 20-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 70-year-olds too, right? I mean, I think of, of Angel and I when we've had passionate discussions. It's code for something else, but passionate discussions. It's like in that moment, your ears close and you can't hear the other person. The reality is you don't care to hear, right? So our anger can, can get in the way of our listening. In fact, our anger can get in the way of our learning. Now, James goes on to get very specific as to why we're be, to be slow to anger. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Righteousness is that one of these just great biblical words. It's rich and it's big and it's deep. In a general way, it can mean something really good, right? It's like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. That's righteous, dude, right? Like that's, that's, that's right on, that's, that's the right thing. But the most common meaning of the word righteousness in scripture, and I think this is the way that, that James uses this word here in his book, is simply this. Righteousness is doing what God requires of his people. It's doing what God wants for us. Jesus used this word righteousness in just this way when he was talking about, uh, talking to his followers about having a righteousness that exceeded that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and so James' simple point is that human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. Now, now when we read uh, this, this line, be, be quick to listen, and slow to speak, and, and slow to anger. I, I'm tempted to think about that in terms of human relationships. And, and, and to be honest, it's, it's so relevant. A, a community, a church, a, a group, a marriage, a family that practices those three things in earnest, it's so good. I mean, relationships flourish where there's active listening going on, and where we're careful with our words. And when we're stewarding the anger that comes into our lives, I think it's so good. But I think James has taken us deeper here. He, he wants us to think about how we're to respond to God in the right way. In, in our relation to him, will we become slow, I mean, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry so that we can actually hear God and then produce the kind of life that God desires for us? 
James goes on to say, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James is saying, instead of rushing to speak or rushing to anger, this is a much better response. And he first says, get rid of or put off any moral evil or dirt or, or filthiness that is so prevalent in our day. It, it, it's a picture that he gives us in the original language that really comes out. It, it's an idea of somebody being dressed wearing clothes that have been covered with mud or dirt or soil. They become dirty in some way, shape, or form just out of life. And, and, and he's saying, take it off. Take off this behavior. Take off this filthiness, this wickedness in your heart that's coming out of your life. Stop wearing that, he says. Reminds me of how my, my sister uh, recently renovated her home, and uh, at the centerpiece of her renovation is the most glorious mudroom you've ever seen. Unbelievable. Fantastic. And, and uh, you know, home, home builders will tell you that this is a trend in our day. People are building mudrooms. It wasn't like that in, in my growing up. It was like, you strip down on the porch, right? <laughs> Anyone know that? It's like... <laughs> You, you, you go, you're, you got, you're out playing, you got dirty, you're, you're mucky, and, and you go to go inside the house, and it was like, out! And, and it didn't matter that you were streaking on the front porch, it was like, don't bring that into my house, right? <laughs> Think about it, if we were as worried about this, if we're worried about this for our own homes, how much more when we're thinking about our own lives and being part of God's house we're being part of God's kingdom, a kingdom that's marked by purity and wholeness, cleansed by God. James is like, don't bring that muck in here. Take those clothes off. And then he says, pick up and embrace or, or put on, he says. He gives us the alternative, what we're to do. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, the gospel, which can save you. This is really the whole point of the passage. This is the exhortation. If you're taking anything away, this is probably something you need to hear what he's saying. Take off all manner of filthiness and wickedness and pride and anger, all that which actually keeps you from listening. That's why it's important to address that stuff. And instead of that, accept and receive and put on and welcome and absorb and submit yourself. Uh, Humble yourself and, and receive the word of God. Submit your life to it and, and your heart to it. I, I don't know if this is speaking to you at all, but it's been speaking to me. This is the, the, the job of a preacher, I guess. Is it, I've had this line, humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you. And I was thinking about that, and a song came on my playlist this week, and it was a hymn I love, one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou My Vision. Anyone love that hymn? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the words, and it's, it's, it's speaking to my heart. And I get to one of the verses, and I realized I don't live that at all. And yet I come to church, and when we sing that, that verse, I sing it with all the gusto I, you, you could ever muster. I love that verse, and yet I realized I don't live those words very well. And it struck me. And this week, I, I don't know, I've just found that, that God has been putting his finger on, on areas of my life and saying, that's, I, I got something different for you than that, you know? I, I want you to humbly, it turns out, I, I don't know about you, but 
I practice quite regularly with God and with people selective hearing. Right? Do you do that? I think we do that. We, we, we see something that we don't like, and, and as opposed to, to wrestling with it, we just go, I, I like how comforting and gracious God is to me, but I don't like when he demands or asks anything of me. Anyone relate? We do that. And yet, as I said, those words from Isaiah, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. How many times we hear God inviting us to listen, to listen, to open ourselves up and, and, and anything that's getting in the way of us hearing him, we put that aside. That leads to the next section in this passage because hearing God's word is only kind of the halfway point across the bridge to freedom. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, it's fascinating to me that James, who is Jesus' little brother, actually doesn't mention his brother very much in this, this whole book. He mentions Jesus' name just twice. We, we heard it in the first verse and then one, once more. But, but scholars will tell us that the book of James actually echoes Jesus' teaching in some fairly profound ways, particularly Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Some of you would remember how, how the Sermon on the Mount ends. Jesus kind of wraps up all this very practical teaching with this little parable. And this is what Jesus said. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I always think of the little Sunday school song that I learned as a kid, the rains come down and the floods come up. But it's not a really pretty picture when you think about it. Jesus and James are both telling us this, this essential truth. Don't be just a hearer of God's word, and not a doer. Be a listener, he says, and, and be a liver. Uh, James and, and Jesus are fully aware of how easy it can be for us to hear God's words while not letting them have any impact on our lives. Jesus' warning here, he says, those who, who, don't, who, who hear his words and, and not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, who builds his house on the sand, and it, it's fine. The house looks great, a house built on the sand doesn't look any different from a house built on the rock. Until when? Until the storms come and the winds blow, right? It's when you're really in trouble and you realize it, doesn't act, it hasn't given me any foundation with which to live. James says those who hear only are doing what? They're lying to themselves. He says deceiving themselves. He's saying people can be mistaken in thinking that they're truly right with God when they're really not. He goes on to give an example. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Let me ask you, why do you look in a mirror? My guess is that for most of us, it's not some big vanity project. You're not looking in the mirror because you, you look so awesome, right? Like you're standing there going, 
wow, do I ever look amazing today. Wow. You get up in the morning and you go, and when you, you do your thing in front of the mirror, you're actually what doing what? You're checking for flaws. How's my hair? Uh, you know, do you got gunk in your eye? You know, uh, do I look okay? Is my, are my clothes all right? Have I cut myself shaving? Those kind of things. And, and, and James is really saying here, wouldn't it be silly to see yourself in the mirror, to see the flaw, and to walk, walk away from the mirror and not do anything about it? Wouldn't that be silly? It was a waste of time looking. James is, is saying if you hear the word of God and don't do it, it's like seeing yourself and forgetting. In other words, the mirror is useless to you. Or the word of God is, is of no use to you. But if you do the word of God, James says, you'll be free. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is saying, if you continue in the counsel of God, if you continue in his instruction and wisdom, you'll be free. Jesus said, actually pronounced another beatitude at the end of this all. He says, you'll, you'll be blessed when you don't just listen to my words, but when you actually do them. Blessed how? Well, the reward for following God's perfect law, or you could say his wisdom, is you'll be free. It's the perfect law. It, it, it's perfectly crafted for you to flourish within that law. You'll be, the, you'll be the person that God created you to be. Some people think, and I think this is a, a lie of our day, and, and it's been a lie of every day, that, that you'll only be free if you do your, live life your own way, if you live your life outside of the confines of God's law. We think somehow God just wants to squeeze the joy and squeeze the freedom out of our experience. The fact is, living outside of God's wisdom, we won't be free will be slaves. Kevin, uh, he talked last week about resisting temptation. And, uh, you know, something that has helped me over the years resist temptation has been to magnify the consequences, consequences of the action, right? Uh, by the way, the, the devil actually does the opposite. He, he magnifies the, the benefits and he minimizes the consequences. That's not really going to hurt you. Don't worry about that. Um, I was telling some pastors this week how uh, every time Angel and I are, are watching TV or we're seeing a movie, and in the movie there's, there's a guy who's, or, or a person who's cheating on their spouse. And, uh, and, and, and oftentimes, and I, I love the fact that this gets portrayed realistically, some, often, not always, where you watch the life kind of self-destruct. Like you watch just the damage it causes, and and I tell you, without fail, when we're watching this scene, and, and, and when it comes to the end of it, Angel will, without fail, she'll look over at me with the fiercest of eyes and say, don't you ever do that. <laughs> you know, she's got, you know, flaming eyes in this moment. And somehow in that moment, I feel guilty even though I haven't done a thing, right? <laughs> like, okay, I won't do that. Sorry for even thinking about it. Maybe. Crazy. But uh, part, part of me magnifying the consequences is knowing what she'll do to me if I ever did do that. You know, it's like the wrath of Khan is nothing compared to the wrath. I'll shut up now. Oh, we got a comfortable couch, don't we, darling? Oh, boy. I, uh, 
pardon me, for, for in that particular issue, magnifying the consequences. I did this back when I was in seminary, actually, because I, I read a book that was incredibly influential to me, and, and actually, it, it, it asked me, in that particular issue, to, to write on one side the, the pros of a behavior, and then on the other side, the cons. And in terms of cheating on my spouse, I could come up with about two things that were pro. You know, it was, all, it was pretty much all pleasure for the moment, right? On the other end of it, as I, as I listed the cons, they just went on and on and on. The kind of destruction, the kind of brokenness that I would wield into my own life and into my family, into my church. I, and it, it, I, I just kept writing. I could, I could go page after page after page, magnifying the consequences. It's been a help to me. You know, when you get... A, I get an email with an advertisement to a porn site. Sometimes I, I just picture this, that if I click that link, it's, it's like I'm putting myself in handcuffs. You know, it's like I, I'm going to be a slave to that, right? And, and the Bible says that if we live outside of God's wisdom, we're going to be a slave to sin. And, and folks, with pornography, it's pretty obvious. You don't need to be a psychologist to know kind of how that can can damage your soul and make you a slave to that behavior. But with, with drug use, it, it's kind of obvious, right? How, how you, you, you go outside of God's wisdom with regards to drugs and, and, and maybe alcohol. You can, you can see how you'll become a slave to that. But it's also true with more subtle sins. You know, if you lie or, or if you exaggerate how, on a regular basis how you will become a slave to deceit. Or, or if you harbor anger. You become a slave to anger. If you give into greed, you become a slave to money. You become a slave to greed or, or, or pride or, or, or whatever it is. And in whatever ways we live outside God's perfect law, we'll be slaves to that. But if we live within the confines of God's word, we're going to be free and we're going to be fully alive because that's how God made us. Let me give you an example. A fish is free when it lives within the element that God made for it, which is water. You know, a, a fish absorbs oxygen through, through water. It was designed for that. Um, any of you have a fish here? Got a fish tank at home, anybody? Nobody at all. You guys are not very good pet lovers at all. Terrible. Um, think about it, though. Imagine you had a fish, all right? Just imagine you had a fish in your tank, and, and they're thinking to themselves, the fish is thinking to themselves, I'm kind of cooped up in here. This is pretty tight. And they're looking out and saying, I'd really like to hop along the carpet. That looks comfortable. I'd like to go into the kitchen and make myself a snack. I'd like to do what those guys are doing. And so in a moment of great bravery, this fish leaps out of the, the tank and lands on the couch. Let me ask you, is that fish now free? That fish isn't free. It's soon going to be history, right? It's going to be gone. And, and, and you know what? <laughs> that fish is free in the environment that it was created for. Yes, there are limits. It's limited to water, but within those limits, it's free. Now, let me ask you, if a fish was made for water, what are human beings made for? We're made to love. We're made to love. We're made to love God and, and to love people. According to Jesus his summary of the perfect law that we're reading about was we're made, made to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love neighbors as we love ourselves. 
And when you love God and when you love people, you flourish, you thrive because, folks, you were made to love. When we love, we live because we're made to love. Isn't this true in your experience? Let me ask you, when when have you been most happiest in your life? I'd like to suggest it's not been when you've been most wrapped up in yourself, when you've been most selfish, but when you've been connecting with God and loving other people. We're free. We're we're most alive. We're we're most free when we love God and we love people. And and so one of the commitments to to hearing the Word of God and and doing the Word of God is a commitment to, to love God and to love others. And then James ends this passage with with giving us a kind of a a key application of humbly obeying God's word. It says here, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein in their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's going to come back, by the way, to these three themes. We're going to see them again. This whole keeping a rein over our tongues. Our our tongues can get us into trouble. What we speak matters. And and, and then he talks about caring and and showing God's compassion to the most vulnerable, to to widows and orphans and and to those in our community who who have need. We're we're meant to to show God's love. Religion that is pure is, is that which has compassion for others. And then this whole being, uh, keeping yourself from being polluted by the world, this is throwing us back right to that whole mudroom analogy about putting off that, that moral, immoral thinking or, or that wicked behavior, whatever it might be, that we're actually wanting to be cleansed from that. Folks, again, James says this. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Listen and live. Hear and do. Humbly accept the word of God planted in you and let it change the way you live. I want to give us an opportunity to actually reflect on that for a few minutes. And so we're just going to invite you to, it might be helpful for you to close your eyes and to bow your heads, but love for us to just reflect on how God might be speaking to each of us this morning. I believe he is. He might have been doing it through the the worship or through the message, but God's been been trying to get your attention. I'd encourage you just in these moments that we have here that you'd open up your, your heart to him. What do you sense that he wants you to hear today? What might he want you to do? Let me just ask a few questions of you to consider. Is there a place in your life where you need to be slow to speak? To take greater care with your words, where you need to take greater care to listen? Just think about that.
How about anger? Where does anger most often rise up in you? In what ways might your pride be at the root of that? James says, get rid of moral filth and dirt, the evil so prevalent. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Is there some dirty clothing that needs removing in your heart or life? You, you picked up some mud along the way. You know, in your heart, your attitudes. And James says, take it off. Get rid of. You can do that right now. James says, humbly accept the word planted in you. What, what is your attitude towards his word these days? You, are you practicing selective hearing? Or are you open to all that he might say? We, we're meant to come with an attitude of humility. Maybe in this moment you could submit yourself again, trusting that his perfect law will bring you freedom. James says, don't be just a hearer of, a wor of, of his word. Be a doer. What might God be saying to you this morning about actually living out his word? Especially when it comes to loving God and loving people. God, again, we pray. Open up your word to us. Father, help us to hear. Help us to, to deal with the, the obstacles to our hearing. You're always speaking. You're always encouraging. Lord, we, we bring to you our pride and our anger. We surrender those. Lord, where we've collected mud along the way and, and become soiled, and we just need to be cleansed. We need to be washed clean. We know that all, of, all has been provided by Christ for that. And so 
we can come to you and, and strip down and be clean in a moment. We bring that, we confess that before you today. Help us to, to humbly accept your word, God, and, and lead us into life and freedom where we may be doers of the word so that we might love you with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and love others like we love ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This good word. May God give you the gift of wisdom and power to not just be a hearer of his word, but to be a doer too. And that you might discover the joy of freedom of following God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.